Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope. Never Ever Give Up Hope is a show about people who have done just that. They never gave up no matter what. I am always thrilled to hear the stories that my guests have to share because each and every one of them are survivors and winners. Each one of them has gone through some incredible circumstance and as a result they have the passion to help others who may be going through something similar. Some of them have overcome extreme poverty and are now successful and possibly even multimillionaires. Some have overcome various forms of abuse. Some have overcome depression, anxiety, disease, you name it. There is no limit to the stories that people share on Never Ever Give Up Hope. Never Ever Give Up Hope is now heard in over 140 countries. And that shows me that no matter where you are on the globe, there are people who need to hear stories of encouragement. They need to hear stories of hope. And that's why this show has become a success. So I thank you listeners, because without you, we wouldn't have a show. And of course, I thank each and every one of my special guests. With me today, I have Rick Sharp. Rick is an author, and he has written a book called The Price of Heartbreak. Immediately, that grabs my attention. And I know that when you read this book, you are absolutely going to love his style of writing. I was, it grabbed me from the very first paragraph, and that is essential as far as I'm concerned when you pick up a book. It needs to grab you. It needs to pull you in. And that's what Rick has done in his book, The Price of Heartbreak. And from the very first paragraph, the very first line, you will want to continue to read. One thing that I appreciated about Rick writing this book is that he painted word pictures. And I love authors that do that because you get to see what he is feeling. And that's how you are drawn in. So I thank you, Rick, for an awesome read. With suicide being the leading cause of death in men under 50, and one in five people suffering from mental health problems, Rick Sharp is now a man on a mission. And he wants to raise awareness about emotional struggles and also to help others suffering emotionally. I think each of us can tap into that at some point in our lives. I'm happy to have Rick here today who is going to share not only from his heart, 
but some some coping skills that he had when he went through the price of heartbreak. Hi, Rick. Hi, Carol. How are you? I am awesome. And you are coming to us today from where? Uh, talking to you from Baghdad, Iraq, of all places on the planet. Uh, however, it's uh, it's a nice sunny day here today, so all is good. And what do you do in Iraq? Uh, my background is air traffic control, and uh, at the moment working on a contract to help air, young Iraqis be air traffic controllers, and that uh, is sort of a step forward in helping the country evolve and redevelop itself. Do you enjoy it? Well, yes, I do. I mean, any time that I spent for over 40 years in aviation, and any time that you can give back in that regard, especially when you can, you, you see young people get into a profession that, although it's high stress, it's a lot. Uh, it, it means a lot to the development of the country moving forward. Uh, when you see that kind of look in a in, in a young person's eyes, that they have this 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 meaning behind what they're doing, it, it, it's especially where they came from. Uh, it's very gratifying. And is it a stressful job? It has its days, absolutely. And there's no two days the same. So uh, that was the interesting thing about that career in air traffic control, that uh, it's a very, very alpha male environment, and there are women getting into it, which, which, is, uh, which helps that, uh, that whole development process. But the job itself, it's, uh, once you have the tools, it's, it's never the same, and uh, you just push forward, and it's a, there's a sincere level of uh, accomplishment uh, and pride when you walk away from working two hours of very, very busy traffic, and any air, any air traffic controller will attest to that. Oh, I bet. I, I did know one many, many years ago, and I remember him sharing that too, that it's almost like um, you get high from the excitement of, uh, like Oh, my God. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's like... Seriously, it is a high, and it's an adrenaline rush. Yes, yes. And, and sometimes you can't get enough of it, um, and only an air traffic controller would understand that, especially when you do a good job. And the other thing is when you do make a mistake, it's it lives with you, and you have to deal with that. Uh, and again, move on from that and make yourself a, a, better, uh, a better controller. And uh, it's a, an amazing, amazing experience. Not for everybody, but it's an amazing yes, experience. Yes, of course. <laughs> Now, one of the messages that we're going to talk about today that I know it's a message that you want to get across, and that is that it is possible to heal from failed relationships, and it's possible to transform your own life through that process. Now, in the beginning, you learned a lot about relationships through your own struggles, and I know that you have developed this over the course of the years. So tell us your story of how your heart was broken and what tools you had at that time to cope with what you were going through. Yeah, interesting story all around because, I mean, people go through their life and lives and they, and they have a number of relationships, some more than others. I was only really very seriously involved with, uh, you know, three or four people in my life. Um, but what I noticed is that I was kind of ending up with the same result, which was ne not necessarily a, a happy one. So when, and, and I actually acknowledge this, I mean, when my marriage ended, I realized that there were, uh, I was spent a, a year in, you know, various forms of uh, counseling and therapy and really trying to make a decision to get my feet on the ground and keep them there because that, um, 
that event really took my children away from me. You know, I was stay, I stayed in the Middle East. They moved back to Canada, and they're now five thousand miles away as young teenagers, which was heartbreaking for everybody. And you know, those things have their consequences later in life as well. But the thing is, is that um, when I I thought I learned from that, to be quite honest, and when I got into this other relationship, uh, this four year relationship, where I really thought I was. Well, I knew I was emotionally, spiritually connected, physically connected, chemically connected. I like to use that word, and on so many on so many levels. It and I thought that uh, I was giving one hundred percent, which relationships are hard work, uh, even when you're trying to do that. Um, so when I at the, at the end of the four years, we kind of drifted apart, which is really really difficult for people to to get over and move on from because you can't pin the end of a relationship on a, on a, on an event or a specific situation. So when people become disengaged and they drift apart and then they make that decision to move on for the right reasons, there's no closure. There's no, you know, and I really struggled with that. So when I got to that point and um, it was interesting because we made the decision, you know, mutually, mm-hmm. um, and there's there's more to it than that. I was I was working from home and uh, I was away from. A, I'm a people person. I like to be around people, so I was away from people for a number of months, and things weren't going well. So I was slipping into this depression, and I was struggling with that. And then on top of the the relationship, and I think that had a, a part to uh, of us drifting apart. And. <laughs> Oh my God! The, the, the sad part about it was, I, I thought I was doing the right thing, and there was a big age gap between us, you okay. know. But uh, you know, I let this woman go and let her live her life the way her parents and her society expects her to live her life. And um, I remember to this day, I'm, I, I, oh my God! Like she, she drove out the driveway and she drove down the street in like ten minutes. I'm standing there, and I'm numb. Like I'm just, just devastated because I knew at that very moment that physically watching her drive down the road just destroyed me like and I said like this is this is wrong this everything in my body I'm getting emotional talking about it it's it's uh it was wrong like it 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 it, it, this was not supposed to be the end result of this beautiful relationship that I felt I gave 100% to so uh a ton of bricks came literally through the roof and and crushed me basically so that was such a huge you know mind altering eye opening experience for me and how was it eye opening eye opening in the fact that i i had like wh- why did that happen like did i manifest this in in some way shape or form i, I ended up with the same result that you know i had from my marriage and th- that was really really upsetting and concerning to me and thinking is this the person who i am is is this is this what i i'm 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 bound to receive for the rest of my life and why is why is that happening and that was a lot of questions just came springing forth and i i needed to address those and i knew that so you went through a, the whole gamut of emotions i'm sure you went through guilt and um, doubt and anger. I mean, all of those. I mean, like you know, shame. I mean, yes. shame is all about failure, and you know, it's about thinking you're wrong and and thinking that you're some in, in some way defective. Um, and as a man, like it's like 
you know, oh, I don't want people to, I'm supposed to be tough. Like, and, and here I am being soft. And the, 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 there was, there was this whole thing about a huge weakness being revealed inside myself and the fear of facing that. And, and as a result of, I mean, when, when you break up and she's a beautiful soul, the thing is like, well, what, you know, people say like, well, what did you do wrong? Oh my God. Like and there's that fear, the judgment, the being criticized and, it just a whole number of things. Yes, guilt, absolutely, shame for sure. Uh, the 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 whole issue all around vulnerability and 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 why, you know, I struggled with that, and that's a whole another story. But all those things just bubble to the surface, and it just becomes sort of an an avalanche of emotion. And emotional pain to the body is very very much like physical pain. The mind doesn't know the difference. Yes. So it's it's sort of in a very very short space of time. I was like sitting around my apartment uh, kind of in the dark and totally in the dark in my life fig- trying to figure out why, why this happened and why why me and thinking that I'm the only person on the planet going through this which is totally untrue but it, it was just something I just was not prepared for but isn't that also part of the healing process in order for you to to really begin the healing you have to look inward and a lot of that is it has to be very self uh orientated you know you're you're thinking about yourself what you did wrong what you could have done differently um possibly throwing a pity party i know many of us throw them no one else shows up and so we begin to feel very much alone in that but we have to go through that in order to get to the next step is that kind of what the process was for you absolutely i mean um i there were days when i i relished in it like i leaned right into it and almost because i felt like i deserved it it was one of those things and I and there was a huge issue about numbing and you, people do that in all kinds of different ways yes. and you know things that are readily available to them and mine was the alcohol and I, I mean I, I didn't abuse it but at the same time I remember sitting on my couch in the dark and you know sitting with a bottle of whiskey and looking at a full glass thinking I'm gonna go there like I know where I'm going and I, and I willingly went and I knew that the next morning it wasn't going to make anything any better, but it made me lean into it and drown in my own kind of grief. And it's a process. You're absolutely right to acknowledge that and, and go there and hopefully something will come of it where you will come out the other end. One thing that I appreciated in your book, The Price of Heartbreak, is this that particular beginning of that story you painted such an incredible word picture of her leaving in that car and immediately my heart reached out to you you know I wanted to uh, I felt your pain so I related and then at the same time you know how is he going to get over this it is so deep and so heavy and there has to be a way that he can get to the other side so obviously you went through as we just talked the various stages so what Mm -hmm. tools did you have at that time in your life I know you're a lot different now but at that particular time in your life after going through those stages of grief what tools did you have to pick yourself up and continue that's an easy one because your your mind is an interesting thing It, it will torment you it will crucify you it will 
drag you down. I mean, your thoughts are not who you are, but your thoughts will actually, you know, play the devil in your mind and it will just turn you around and, and, and so that you don't even know what to think. The only way I could get that out of my head, because sleep was not, a, it was always disturbed. It, it wasn't, a, uh, there was no sleep involved in the sense I wasn't getting any rest. So what I did was I started writing stuff down and, and it was a, a random thing I was doing, but it got it out of my head. Okay. Enough. Yeah. So journaling is, was the, the way it started and getting it out on paper and I would write for, you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes and I, and I would get up and leave it. And I, I, I couldn't tell you what I wrote. Okay. <laughs> Seriously. Well, but your heart was really, and your emotions, everything was writing, and that it's therapy, yeah. like you said. It definitely is totally. therapy, and a lot of totally. people use So did you use any of that for your book, or was that just that process of, of healing? No, well, that's the interesting part of the story, because I started doing this, and, and I felt, because I could sleep afterwards, I started continually doing it, and it was totally random. So as I wrote more and more, I sent, I sent, uh, I sent one of the passages to uh, uh, a friend of mine and she just said, Oh my God, like this is, this is one of the best things I've ever read. Like you need to <laughs> put, yeah, you need to put this out there because again, like I, I read a book by uh, uh, Nancy Aroni called uh, writing from the heart. And that, that's the whole point that pouring yourself out on paper. And the interesting thing about journaling is you can go back to it and, and see where you are now, where you were then. Yes. And, yes. and, and that's a, that's a, real measure of progress that you're making because we do need that sort of feedback and there's no way to get that unless obviously you're talking to friends who have seen you go through the process or you actually have that for yourself in the form of a journal. So when I started doing this and I thought it was never meant to be a book. Okay. So it was it was more of a, of, of a, a personal uh, blog to say Okay, this is where I am. I need to get this out, and I need, and I need to get this on paper to get it out of my system. So I had this grandiose idea when I thought, okay, well, maybe this can help other people because when people are going through this, they they always feel like they're the only one. You wake up in the morning, it's like, oh my god, like why me? Like I'm the only person in the world that's going through this, yes. which is so untrue. Because if if you, if you do the math, like there's seven billion people on this planet in like eight to 12 emotions that we go through. So do the math. I mean, it, it, it's just everybody's doing going say, say that again, Rick. It, there's seven billion people on this planet. We're all human. We have basically seven to 10 different emotions that we experience as human beings. And to think that you're the only one going through what you're going through is absolutely ludicrous because there's hundreds of thousands of people that are experiencing exactly what you're experiencing, although the circumstances might be different, and you are not alone. Yes, that's one thing that was actually my next question. I appreciated that line that you said, to all those who struggle emotionally, you are not alone. I think the emphasis of what you just said as far as the statistics, the stats, yeah, um, is amazing, and we need to keep that in our forethought when we are going through something. So, anything else you want to say along those lines? 
No, absolutely. I mean, that's only the first step. When you realize that you aren't alone, the next step is to communicate. And you talk, you talk to any of the uh, the mental health support organizations or websites, and the first thing they'll say is, "You need to talk about what you're going through." Because once you start doing that, and I'll get, I'll tell you a story right now. Is that um, I was out with some friends, and there was a, a pilot guy who I had just met. It was the, the, the macho, you know, pilot, and uh, uh, doing his life and climbing mountains and doing this thing and that thing. And uh, he says, uh, yeah, Roxana says, like, you, you just wrote a book. I said, what was that about? And I got really, really sheepish because I didn't want to come across as less than being a man right, sort of right, thing, right. you know. And it's like, well, you know, it was kind of like a personal journey. And I, I, I kind of pussyfoot it all around it. And, and then finally I come out and said, look, this happened. It was my kind of emotional journey about how I dealt with that and how I moved on from that, and that's what the book is about. And he looked at me and goes, yeah, you know, I get where you're coming from. And he, he started telling a little bit what, what, what something that he went through. So sometimes that communication, like opening that up, actually you find people around you that resonate with what you've been through because they've been through it too. Seven billion people, you know, yes. they, they, they've been through it. Yes. So all of a sudden now you you when you open that door and it's very vulnerable to do that you realize that you're not getting shut down like you realize that there's other people that have gone through what you you went through although there were different people different circumstances involved the basic emotions are the same and you realize what a positive thing communication and talking about what you're going through is because the more you talk, and this is my own personal experience, the more I talked about it, and you talk with different people, so you're, you're explaining the story in different ways. It's a different day, so your emotions and your thinking is slightly different. So the more you talk about it, the more you realize, if you listen to yourself talk, the more you realize about what your situation is, the more you learn from that. So I, I was telling this, the same story in different ways to different people, and I learned from that, and I realized that I was progressing and growing from that. And that helped you move forward, obviously. Those, those were the obviously in- yes, yes, absolutely. And then, and then when I got to the whole to return back to the journaling thing, and I thought, okay, if I write this, this might be beneficial for other people. I went to Bali for three weeks and I, to finish the book and. Uh, I wrote for about a week, and then I, I touched on this thing called vulnerability, and I Googled vulnerability, and Brene Brown's name came up. And she's such an amazing, amazing person, a social worker, researcher, lecturer, and and she had just written her third book. So I ordered all three books. I read them in the next two weeks, and I was sort of ticking off the uh, on the poster boy for vulnerability and, and avoidance of that, <laughs> So, which was – a big eye-opening thing for me. It was like, oh my God, like I need to, and this is the whole thing about understand where you've been. I mean, I acknowledge the fact that, okay, this is not a good place for me and, and this is the this is the reasons why and this is the relationship that led to that and all things for a reason, but I needed to understand why. And once I touched on the whole thing about being a man, my generation, and the whole issue about avoiding vulnerability and thinking of vulnerability as a weakness, I had to go back there and kind of turn over some stones to find out why I was the way I was. 
how, what part does society play as far as the way we are training our sons in this regard? And is there a change happening? I would hope there is because I think we're, mental health awareness is becoming more and more um, in the mainstream and a lot of people are speaking out about their issues and, and, and celebrities and politicians and, and, and all these types of people. So it's making it more uh, more of a conversation in, 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 the, in the general public because we used, to, we used to bury that. I mean, in my generation, it's like, you know, big boys don't cry and, uh, you know, even any kind of a, an emotional outburst, like, you know, it was, you know, come on, get, get your stuff together here. Uh, you, you're, you're a man. And that you're a man thing, and I've been guilty of do, saying that to my own son, you're a man thing at, at, at a very younger age sets up standards that you know kids to this day they they have no idea they don't have the emotional tools to to attain so we we set our our our, our sons up for failure yes. because we speak to them from a uh, our own emotional experience we speak to them from an from an adult mindset which they haven't even developed yet and this is this is very it, it, it's it, it's interesting because <clears throat> for example your son comes home. He's thirteen years old, fourteen years old, and he says, "Dad, like, I'm, I'm, I'm in love," and automatically, like, as a parent, and because of our own experiences and life experience, we say, "Well, you don't know what life love is. Like, I mean, it's puppy love. Like, you, you don't know what you're talking about." So all of a sudden, we've just like negated and shut him yes. down emotionally. Whereas, you know, if we were smart about that and we said, "Okay, like," That's that's fantastic. Like, what what is that like for you? And his fourteen year old mind is like, well, we went to the movies and we held hands. It's completely different. And if you have that conversation at that point with a fourteen year old boy, you know, when he's eighteen, nineteen, and he gets gets into some some more mature emotional stuff, he'll come talk to you. Yes. You know, so if you shut him down at that point in time, he may not want to go there because, you know, when we do that. Uh, it it hardwires some stuff in the brain where you actually reflect back to that experience and you learn negatively or positively from that. What a nugget. That is awesome what you just said because I've, you just tapped right into it. And, and to a, just from that one conversation that you would have with your son at that point or your daughter for that matter, can totally change the way he feels about himself, consequently how he's going to respond to those kind of situations in life. They carry it forward into their adult life. And the thing is, is that, you know, they can change that, but they have to recognize the fact that it has to be changed. And we, we as parents and as families, we program the next generation, which is unfortunate in some ways because we actually pass along to them our own experiences and some of them are probably not very good ones and they learn from that they take that on so instead of letting them find their own way we actually coach them into thinking that this is what life's going to be for them but uh, you're right in the sense that they should be allowed to experience that as, as young people and we should be able to take a step back and say they don't have the life experience to to relate to those types of situations the way we do as 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 adults because we have all that baggage that we're carrying with us which influences everything that we think and say and do and yet you know 
we need to give them a little bit of space to say, hey, like, it's okay. The fact that you're in love is is fantastic, you know? And the thing is, uh, I had my uh, 20-year-old daughter recently say, Dad, I'm, I'm sitting across the table from her, and she says, Dad, like, I am just so, so in love. And I could have said, okay, yeah, are you sure about this? Or, you know, threw in something there from my own experience that would question what she's thinking. And what I did was I looked at her and I said, isn't it great? Isn't that awesome? It's a great feeling. And you know what? One of these days, I'm going to find that myself again. Now, let's go back to what we said way in the beginning, in the intro, regarding suicide with men. Because you did uh, talk about that before in your book. And I do want you to to expound on that a bit. Um, I I use the, uh, the... the story about Brene Brown when she was doing a book signing and um, a man and his wife and two daughters, they go to this book signing and afterwards the, the wife and the, the two daughters, they have the book signed and they walk away and he stays at the in front of her and she's quite nervous about this and he says to her, as a man, I understand what you're saying about shame and she's like, he asked her, like, how do you get your information? So, well, I interview women. And he looks at her and he goes, I'm paraphrasing, but he looks at her and he goes, that's convenient. And she didn't know what to do with that. But the thing is, is that he says to her, and this will always resonate with me, I said, he says, do you see that woman and, and my two daughters over there in the corner with your book? And she says, yeah. I said, like, they would rather see me, you know, die on top of my white horse than fall off, than watch me fall off. And that just resonated with me so much because that is basically, I mean, the man is supposed to be the provider. He's supposed to be the protector. He's supposed to be the, uh, the everything and the mentor and the coach and all of these things. And it becomes very, very overwhelming when you get to a point where, and I felt like this when I was with, uh, in my four-year relationship, I took a 75% drop in pay and I could do all these other things. And all of a sudden then I couldn't and I felt so less of a person than I really was because I couldn't do all of these things. I couldn't, I couldn't provide. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't go out there on a limb and say, let's do this and let's do that because I didn't have the, the ability, the financial ability to do this. Some men actually get drowned by that. Okay. And there's, no, there's, nowhere that, there's nowhere to turn. You can't, you can't talk to your, to your partner. You can't talk to your kids. You can't talk to your best friends because they think, hey, dude, like, what's, what's going on with you? Right. And you, you, you've got nowhere to turn. And sometimes that's just way, way, way too much for some people. And, 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 and they get to a point where they make some decisions that there's no coming back from. Yes. And sometimes men in that situation, if we're a little bit more self-aware... If we just walk up to him and say, hey, are you, are, are you okay? You know, sometimes that's enough for them to start talking and opening up. And, and they may not. Sometimes they just need you to kind of sit with them and, hey, I, I, like I'm here. And depression is, 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 a, is, a, is a, it's not a choice. It's, it's a disease. And, you know, people don't know how to do, how to handle that. And men when they've been programmed by society to be a certain model type and they feel um, that they're not living up to that. And that's just, 
that is so loaded with shame and, and they internalize it and that's the worst thing that you can do. How do you feel that your book would help both men and women? Again, it, for men, it's like, it's not a book that tells you what to do. Right. It's just a, it's just a story yes. about one guy, like I never professed to be a writer, I never, I'm not a, and I, and I say this because I'm not a professor, I'm not a, a psychologist, I'm not a researcher, I'm none of those things, I'm just a guy, I'm just, that just told a story. And if, and there are some quote unquote revelations at the end of the, uh, at the end of the book where like, this is what happened to me, this is what I did, and you can resonate with this and you can take something from that, that's a good thing. Somebody asked me once, you know, how many books do you think you'll sell? I don't care. Right. The book, the book already did something for me emotionally. Yes, that's it, right? And you know, and it's one of those things where if someone else, and and I've had feedback that it's already happened. If somebody else gains something from that, and they can look at their life in a slightly different way, then that's a good thing. From a female perspective, I, I think that you know women do get caught up on society's view of men and what they expect. And, and there's lots of women out there that want that macho, manly type guy, and without willing to accept that there's a, a very softer emotional part of that person that uh, may need to be come to the surface without judgment. So that's all part of the package. And guys will try to hide that because if in some cases when it comes to their relationships with uh, the opposite sex, they, they or the same sex, it doesn't matter, that they they don't want to reveal themselves as being less than what they actually are because that then sort of intimates intimates that they may be less the person than they originally got involved with. That's a big fear thing. It's a big vulnerability thing. And as long as women can provide the space and uh, um, emotional emotional space for that to happen, that just makes the relationship that much more stronger. Life is really complicated, isn't it? <laughs> oh, totally. But that, that's the part that, you know, relationships are really, really hard. I mean, if, 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 if it was like roses every single day for years upon years, like, I want to know who your doctor is because I want that medication. <laughs> well, it might be pretty boring too, though. Well, it is. It is. It's not about, but that's what growth is about, isn't it? That's going outside your comfort zone and going through struggles and difficulties and growing as a person. And if you can do that as a couple, I mean, that's that's nirvana. What I appreciate, again, back to your book, and what I appreciate, as I said in the beginning, is how, how you grab the reader, because it is a story, but also intertwined in that story, is it is self-help, because people relate and then can use some of the things that you said. I mean, some of the quotes in there, it just, you know, they really made me stop and think and that's what you want because we we're doing that inner search we're doing that you know how do I relate to this and how can it help me and possibly how can this help somebody else and so even just sharing your story as you did it really turned into a self-help book I believe and so it it just makes it that much more more better <laughs> it is I mean I mean let, let, let's, let's back up for a second and let, let's talk about self-help it starts with you yes it starts it starts with self and if you can acknowledge where you are understand how you got there take responsibility and then come up with some actions to make yourself a better person in the sense that I want to grow from this and I want to learn from this and I want to ask myself the real questions 
truth is always truth. You can avoid truth, but if you you can lie to other people all you want, but when you lie to yourself, that is the biggest travesty. It sincerely is because no matter what you want to manipulate in your own mind, the truth always remains the same. What methods, if any, do you suggest helping men deal with these this part in their life where they feel that they've hit bottom? whether it's through failure or depression, which I appreciated what you said, that it is a disease, it's not a choice. Expound a little bit more on that. Sometimes, like, you're the last one to realize where you are. I mean, I, I went through the whole issue with, with mindfulness, and, and once you recognize where you are, then you actually have to now go out and communicate and talk and, and, and get those feelings out there. That's the only way that you can understand them yourself because if you leave them in your own mind, they'll just they'll just roll over and over, roll over and you'll just never get anywhere because your mind is a very can be a very, very cruel a cruel thing to 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 your soul. But once you've started the biggest thing is to talk about it, to be quite honest, just start talking about it. And then that will sort of clarify and, and, and where you are and what you need to do. And uh, if you have some like friends, family, people that are close to you, not everybody deserves to hear your story. Let's be clear about that. You know, you have to have the, the people that you trust and are closest to and you feel that won't judge you when you share that story and they'll be there for you no matter what. But it, once you get by that, um, you, you, you come to some a lot of understandings about what vulnerability really is, what being a man really is. And I think the biggest thing is you have to be kind to yourself. Mm. You know, you have to be empathic with yourself. Like stop crucifying yourself and realize that you're a human being. And again, 7 billion people on the planet. You know, there's probably 17 million of them right now that are going through what you're going through. So make that, you know, make the effort to make that communication. And, and most of those you know, self-help areas, of blogs and and websites, and that's the first thing to do. That's the first step in that right direction about communicating. But be kind to yourself because everybody has those those bad days, and eventually you get to the point where you you need to take care of your mind, take care of your body, and and because those those are the only gifts God ever gave you from getting getting uh, uh, being on this planet. And be be grateful, you know, for the people in your life and the people that stand by you. It, it, it's a tough one, but when you're in that that dark space, the the biggest thing that people can do, men, women, doesn't matter, is to talk about it. That that's the biggest thing. Open up. Don't keep it to yourself because you end up repressing it, and it becomes layer upon layer upon layer of emotional crap, and it becomes a mountain, and you cannot see the. You can see the top of this, this mountain in front of you, but you cannot see what you have to wade through to get there. I think you will agree that most of my guests on this show and most people that I know who have experienced trauma in their lives in one form or another all say that if I had not gone through what I did, I would not be who I am today. I'd expound on that a little bit. Oh, totally, absolutely. And he, he, here's the thing that I went through, especially when I was going through this this book writing thing. You listen to some of these stories, and they're so amazing, and you resonate with them, and you think these people are superhuman to actually have gone through what they've gone through, and to get to where they are today. 
what some people and I, and I went through this myself. I thought, oh my god, like you know, these stories are so magnificent and mind altering. Mine is so insignificant in comparison. It's not about that. Every person on this planet has a story. That story is important to them. It yes. doesn't matter. Where, it, it doesn't matter the, the the magnitude of 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 the challenge of the trauma or of the 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 depression. Any of those things. It's your life. It's important to you. Other people have gone through the the depths of despair to the the highs of of where they are at the moment. Yours may not spam that sort of uh, may, may not have that span of, of of emotional travel. But the thing is, is that it's important to you. It's your life. It's important that you actually understand that whatever you've gone through may not be as big as something else that someone's experienced what it is to you and that to me is don't belittle the fact that oh i had a breakup that was that was not as important enough to talk about as someone who's been through sexual abuse as a child or you know been through trauma and war and all these types of things it is important to you and you need to understand that and that story is worth telling no matter what it is that's an excellent way, actually, to summarize it, Rick. You're absolutely right. Everybody has a story. Everybody needs to share that story. And there aren't levels of importance because what you shared today, for example, many people will resonate with. Many, many people will be able to relate to it and to get that hope that things can change depending upon where they are right now and whether it's in a relationship and a recent breakup uh, just going through any type of grief you know in the various stage stages of grief so you touched on many different areas and the takeaway is is vast I really appreciate that there are many things as you were talking I didn't want to interrupt you but I wanted to many times because you were saying things that I really want to let let's tap into what you just said so we're going to listen to this again I suggest that to my listeners listen to it once listen to it again by Rick's book he's got so much so many nuggets of truth there that can help us in understanding ourselves and and one another. Anything else you want to say in summary or possibly something that you have not said that you would like to share? The two biggest things for me is that you're not alone. No matter what you're experiencing, no matter what you're going through, you're not alone. And when you wake up in the morning and you're trying to get one foot onto the floor, it's difficult to understand that you are not the only one going through what you're going through. I mean, I used to go through like, just get up, dress up and show up, whatever that means to you, you know? So, and the other thing is that, um, it's never too late to reinvent your life through learning from your experiences. I'm 60 years old. I'm reinventing my life and I've got so much more. I'm so much, I have so much to look forward to. My, my daughter says, Dad, it's like, you, I have friends of mine whose parents, you know, they sleep all winter and wait for the golf course to open up, and yet you're, you're off <laughs> climbing mountains. Yeah, you're writing books, you're climbing mountains, you're, you're doing this, and you have a purpose that you want to help people and, 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 and sort of raise awareness, and I think that is so awesome. She makes me think about that, and my, my son even, like, 
a couple of years back, he questioned like, who, who, who are you? That put me, that started me on a journey to really figure out who I was and, and, and get that down. If you can do that at age 30 and age 40, absolutely wonderful. But my point is, if it's 50 or 60 or even 70, it's never too late. I don't want to be on my deathbed thinking uh, a world of regret because I didn't do what I thought I should do or, or, or take the chance and do some of the things that I, I really felt I should have done. So that's what life's about. It's a journey. And you, you, you have this opportunity. What an amazing thing to be human, seriously. And, and have all those opportunities. Go out there, make your mistakes, learn from them, move on, and, and make yourself that person that uh, you know, your kids might be able to look up to someday. But that's the whole point. You know? that's, the, that's the journey, and that's the, what we live for, we should live for. What a great summary. Thank you so much, Rick. That really was uh, an awesome interview, and I appreciate everything that you shared. Thank you for being on Never Ever Give Up Hope. And let's get his book, The Price of Heartbreak, because I know many of you are going to relate with that. So I thank you to my listeners, and I thank you, Rick, for being on our show. Well, I'm very grateful, for Carol, for you having me on the show. And uh, it's, to be really honest, every time I talk about this stuff, I, I, still, I still learn and I still have a, a greater awareness of where I am and where I've been. And, and that, is, that is so, you know, for people out there, that's, that's a huge realization. And the, the, the journey is never over. It isn't. And until you, unless you stop, right? Exactly. Well, oh, just, okay. One last thing okay. for everybody. I had, a, I had a, a, an elderly Iraqi gentleman say to me one day. He looked me in the eye in the coffee shop, and it just it still it just it just sits in my heart. He says, "Rick, he says, do not die before your death." And oh my wow. God, like it, yes. yeah, totally profound. No kidding. You could write a book on that. It could. <laughs> All right. Thank you again, Rick. It's been a, a great pleasure having you here. Thank you so much, Carol. You take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.